0: Well, hey, everybody. I'm so glad you're with us today for this online service. And man, I hope and pray that you're putting your trust in the one sure thing in this world. And that is the love and presence of the Lord Jesus. And listen, many of us are deeply concerned today because of all the disruption and uncertainty that's happening in our world right now. And let me tell you, I get that. You know, we got a category four hurricane bearing down on the Gulf Coast right now. It's uh, supposed to make landfall tonight. It's supposed to be a category five when it hits land. Those folks have been pummeled in the past. And I got a buddy that's a pastor of New Hope Church in Houston asking us to pray for him. And so please join me in praying for New Hope Church uh, as they, you know, face this hurricane threat again. There's also bloodshed and violence multiplying in our cities. And man, we need to pray for wisdom and peace and lawfulness and justice. And I don't have to tell you political rhetoric is just heating up as we get closer and closer to this election. Man, if there was ever a time in our history when our culture needs to see from followers of Jesus an example of civility and humility and unity and charity. Listen, man, it's right now. And of course, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic that's really affecting our economy. And you know, that's being dismissed by some on one side and then politically weaponized by others. You know. Why are trying to get our kids back in school? And some of them are going to school online and some of them are in person. and, And so today, can we just take a minute and let's just pray for our students and our parents and our teachers and police officers and national leaders that, man, God will work through His people and through the structures He has created to bring peace and health to our world. Father, I just want to thank You that we can come to You in times of chaos and know that it's not chaos to You. It doesn't surprise you. You've seen this coming, Lord, from the very beginning. And we just pray in Jesus' name that you would work through our church, Lord, to be a place of peace and strength and understanding and love in this world. It seems to have forgotten how to do all that stuff. Father, we know that when the night is the darkest, the light is the brightest. And I just pray, God, that you would bless our teachers, our students, our government officials, our parents, Lord, our church leaders, our police officers, everybody. Lord, as we seek to honor you with our lives and through our lives, and we pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Now, friends, let me tell you, it occurred to me this week that about the same time our churches across the nation went to online only to protect the weakest and the oldest people among us, friends, our nation got sick. I mean, I don't know if you've thought about it that way, but I think the godly spiritual reset that happens every week for millions and millions of Christ followers in this country. You know, when we gather to worship and pray and hear God's word, you know, has been so affected by having to do this only online. I think our world is feeling it. I mean, people are saying and doing things that they would not be saying and doing if they were worshiping and serving and having to look their Christian friends in the eye every week. And friends, the restraining power of worship on our, you know, just the evil in our world uh, has been diminished a little bit by being online only. And friends, that is one reason I'm so excited about our plans to start regathering our church for worship, public worship on September 23rd and 27th, just, just about a month from now. And can I just tell you, man, it's time. It is time. Now, we're going to be as careful and we're going to be as responsible as we possibly can. But man, we're going to start regathering and I can't wait. Uh, We're going to have a family meeting on Monday, August 31st at seven o'clock. I'm going to talk you through all the details of that. I hope you'll join us for that meeting. It'll be on demand at our website if you miss it. Uh, But can I just say a pastoral word to our family right now about how this is all going to work? Number one. We're gonna create as safe an environment as possible by physically distancing and asking everybody to wear a mask out of love for others. Everybody five years old and up. We want you to wear a mask out of consideration for other people and help us physically distance. I'll explain how all that's gonna work at our family meeting. Now, we also have a plan to get our children together and get our students together. In fact, we already are. Man, we've had hundreds of middle school and high school students, man, who've been gathering already on every campus. And I'm telling you, man, it's just been amazing. Dude, we've had outdoor worship services at a number of our campuses last week that was awesome. It was just great. Man, we've had children's ministry gatherings on campuses as well. Uh, some of them look like they might be having a little bit too much fun to me. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Duncan Pastors, come on, really? Uh, but let me just tell you, we've got D groups that are already getting together in person. They're wearing masks, they're physically distancing, and they're loving it. And I'm telling you, man, when we start worshiping together, we're going to love it even more. Now, if we're going to wor- welcome everybody... Then we got to have our serve teams here and ready to go, ready to serve in lots of new ways. So let me just say a couple of things about that. First of all, if you've joined our church since we went to online only, you can take Growth Track, the digital version online, and if you start next week, you will be team ready by the time we launch our new our reopened services on September 23 and 27. And man, we hope you'll get involved in that. Man, you can help us be a part of regathering our church and relaunching our public services and God will use you. And I'm telling you, you will love that. Now to get our serve teams up and ready, we're also gonna have volunteer services on the two weeks prior to our reopening. That would be September 9 and 13 and September 16 and 23. Now, I don't have to tell you that we're going to have to do a lot of things differently in the days ahead you know, to make access to our buildings low touch and keep everything properly sanitized. And we're going to need lots of help. Now, you're going to hear more about that at our family meeting. And so I hope you'll join us for that. But we're going to be training everybody in those volunteer services the two weeks prior to our official reopening on September 23 and 27. Now, friends, if you're sick or if you have a child who is sick, please stay home. Watch our great online service. You'll be blessed. Dude, let's be smart about this, right? But friends, there are some vital functions of the church that cannot be done online. And that's why we've always said, online is a great place to start, but it's a bad place to get stuck. And so I hope you'll start making plans now to join us as we begin to regather in September. Now I'm just telling you, I believe the greatest days in the history of our church are ahead of us. And so I am fasting and praying about this regathering process. And I want to ask you to fast and pray with me. Now, Jesus taught us that some mountains will only be moved by fasting and prayer. And so I want to ask you to fast and pray with me about this regathering that's going to happen in September. I'm going to fast every week until we regather. And I believe God is going to show up in an amazing way. And I hope you will join me because I just believe He will. And I'm looking forward to it. I am tired of just preaching to this camera. Y'all, we're going to get together. It's going to be awesome. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm telling you, this study in the life of Joseph for the last six weeks has been good for me. I mean, it's been good for me. Here is a resilient guy who just prevailed no matter what the world threw at him. And listen, I think a lot of us are really resonating with that right now. Amen. Now, I mean, (laughs) if you kind of naively believed that when you became a follower of Jesus, everything in your life was just going to be going up and to the right for the rest of your life. Well, you know, a combination of this study of Joseph's life and what's going on in our world right now should have straightened you out on that. Now, I love the quote from Greg Lavoie. He said, Jesus only promised those who follow him three things. One, that they would be absurdly happy. Second, that they would be entirely fearless. And third, that they would always be in trouble. Now, friends, Joseph's story has demonstrated it is possible to live with all three of those at the same time and still have the joy of the Lord. And let me tell you, for most of us, we seldom have to deal with more than two out of three at a time, but I'm telling you, Joseph figured this out. And if he can figure it out, we'll figure it out. Now, just as a reminder of how resilient his faith was and and how honestly he has more in common with you than you might think, I want to graph out his life as we've seen it in Genesis chapter 37. So, you know, Joseph starts, you know, by meeting, he meets the Lord at his home. And thank God he has a life-changing relationship with God that he developed in his family. Unfortunately, that family was also deeply dysfunctional. And so can I just say, if you're a Christian and you live in a dysfunctional family, you're not the first. And let me just tell you, Joseph changed his destiny and you can change your destiny as well. And Joseph did that by working hard and applying himself. And because he did, he was really blessed by his dad. But unfortunately, he was also resented by his brothers, you know, because they didn't like his dad's favoritism, which eventually results in violence and evil from those brothers who beat him up and sold him into slavery. Now, let's hit pause for a second. Have you noticed there's a lot of up and down in Joseph's life and God is with him when he's up and God is with him when he's down and God is going to be with you in the ups and downs as well. Now, let's look at how this continues. By God's grace, even as a slave, Joseph found himself in the home of a decent man, which was a blessing from God in the midst of a horrible situation. And because of God's being with him, Joseph had a lot of success you know, in that home, which was also a blessing to him. I mean, it could have been a lot worse, right? They could have been beating him every day instead of rewarding him every day. But then it did get worse because his master's crazy wife starts hitting on him. And listen, that puts Joseph in a very awkward, very dangerous situation. And then when Joseph does the right thing and refuses her advances, her pride drove her to literally try to get him killed by accusing him of a sex crime in ancient Egypt, which resulted in him going to prison. And man, he was stuck in a pri- but he was in a prison for political prisoners, you know, which was awful. But I mean, it could have been a lot worse, dude. They were building the pyramids back in the day. He could have been out there, slave labor, working on those pyramids. But then, by God's grace, he begins to prevail even in prison. And then he meets some guys who are close to Pharaoh and and they're connected. And then he's called by Pharaoh to interpret some dreams. And, dude, that's like like somebody giving you a starring role in Star Wars, right? And so, man, from 17 years old, he's sold into slavery. About 30 years old, he starts working for Pharaoh. And I'm telling you, he goes from the pit to the penthouse in 13 years. Now, 13 years is a long time. Think about how old you were 13 years ago. 13 years ago, I was still in my 40s. (laughs) Barely, but I was there. Think about the difference God could make in your life in the next 13 years. If you lived your life on faith, believing that God is with you. And, and listen, man, at this point, Joseph is like the number two guy in Egypt, all right? He's like the Bill Gates. I'm telling you, he's like the Steve Jobs in this economic culture. I mean, Dave talked about this last week. God has given Joseph ideas that nobody's ever even thought of before. And every one of them works, man. He is making money. He is gaining power and position and pro- I'm telling you, stuff's just piling up in his life. It's just going up, 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 up. But friends, you will never be so successful or blessed that you don't need to be quick to obey the Lord. Now, Joseph is going to get really tested in chapter 42. So open your Bible to chapter 42 of the book of Genesis. That's where we're going to start today. Because I'm telling you, man, those creepy brothers who beat him and abused him and sold him into slavery, they are going to show up at his office. It's going to be crazy. And then he's going to have to decide whether I will forgive them or not. And if he does forgive them, you know what? The blessing on God is going to continue to go up, 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 up in his life. And if not, well, you know what happens in your life, right? When you refuse to forgive, you know what happens in your life when you hate somebody, when you just live with resentment, you know how that affects your attitude Uh, You know how that affects your relationships. You know how that robs you of joy and makes you just a bear to live with. So friends, we're gonna look at the life of Joseph and today we're gonna see maybe the biggest challenge he ever had to face. Well, I hate the people in my life who have earned it. Am I gonna hate those guys? Or will I be the bigger person? Will I be like God and extend forgiveness even to people who have hurt me now, friends, the Lord Jesus taught us that one of the traits that will set us apart in our world, you know, set us apart from the people who are trying to burn our world down right now is our capacity as a follower of Jesus to forgive. Now, in Mark 11:25, 25, Jesus said, when you stand praying, if you hold, listen this, anything against anyone, forgive them. Why? So that your Father in heaven can forgive you. Now, friend, if you've ever been hurt deeply, you know that forgiveness is hard to pull off. It's difficult. And so as we dig into Joseph's life, I want you to pray, Lord, Lord, you forgave me. Now, is there anybody who has offended me that I need to forgive? Have you ever prayed that? Lord, is there anybody who has offended me that I need to forgive? and then just sit there and listen for a minute and see if some face doesn't pop into your mind. Okay, Genesis 42, look at Genesis 42. Uh, it's been over 20 years since Joseph was sold into slavery. They're a third of the way through this global economic pandemic. You know, back in the day they call it a famine, You know, which caused his brothers to have to leave their home in Canaan and come to Egypt to find some food and guess who they have to ask for it, <laughs> Joseph. All right, look at chapter 42, verse three. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land. He was the one who sold grain to all the people. And so when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and he swore harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked? Well, we came from the land of Canaan, they replied. We came here to buy some food. Now, friends, Joseph immediately recognizes his brothers. I mean, he understands everything they're saying before the translator translates it, but they don't recognize him. Wonder why? Well, maybe because he's speaking Egyptian and they don't speak Egyptian. Or maybe he's clean shaven, you know, and dressed like an Egyptian. You know, the Jews wore long beards and the Egyptians did not. And I hate to say it, but you know, the Egyptian men wore a lot of makeup back in the day, which is a little bit creepy, but that's what was going on back in the day, right? And strange things happen to your body between 17 and 40 years of age. Can I get an amen on that? You know, somebody said there are three stages uh, in your physical development. There's youth, there's middle age, and then there's, you look good. Yeah, you look good, man. You know, Joseph was a 40 year old guy. He had changed, but he was the last guy in the world his brothers expected to see. But listen, y'all, imagine what went through his mind, Joseph's mind, as he is watching his brothers bow down before him. Now, if you've been with us through this whole series, you remember in the very first message on Genesis chapter 37, Joseph had this crazy dream and he had a stalk, a bundle of wheat and his bundle of wheat was standing up straight. And then there were all of his brothers had a bundle of wheat and all their wheat were bowing down to him. And I mean, that 20 year old dream is coming true right in front of him. And now Joseph got all the power and those guys who bullied him and abused him, dude, they're bowing down to him. They're at his mercy, his dream has come true. So what's he going to do? I mean, is he going to praise the Lord? Is he going to get emotional about how God has blessed him? Is he going to say, guys, you remember all that terrible stuff y'all did to me? Look how God flipped it and used it for good. I mean, my trials have made me wiser and stronger. And look how God has promoted me to this place where I can now save you and save many people in the world. Look what God has done, let's praise the Lord. (laughs) Or is he going to start grinding his teeth and looking at those dirty jokers and cuss them, send them empty-handed to starve, pick up a brick and beat them with it? I mean, that's what people do in our country today, right? Just start beating people if you don't like what they're doing. Now, here's the question. When we've been hurt, are we going to be drawn up by the grace of God in our life? Or are we going to be pulled down by the desire for revenge? Now, if you know this story, you know that Joseph was drawn up by the grace of God in his life. I mean, he had a perfect chance to get even and didn't even try. But Joseph needed to know whether these guys were still the same mean, hateful, abusive jokers who sold him into slavery or if they had changed. He needed to know, have they matured? Are they different now? Can I trust them? I got a little brother back in Canaan and I'm going to take care of that. Can I trust these guys? Here's the question. How do you know if a bad person has changed? Oh, Cam, you shouldn't call anybody bad. Those guys were bad. They were bad. And Joseph needed to discern if they were still liars. Are they still jealous and abusive of his little brother Benjamin the way they've been abusive of him? And he couldn't ask them because if they're still liars, they just lie about it. Now friends, I think the whole reason this story is in the Bible is because somebody listening today needs to know that there are people that you can forgive that you should never trust. There are people you should forgive that you should never trust. Now, Joseph has a heart of forgiveness, but he does not trust these guys yet. And he does not want to bless bad men. Listen, some people need to get sued. Some people need to go to jail. And Joseph blessing bad people doesn't help them. And it doesn't help his family. And it doesn't help the world. Listen, even if it makes you feel good, empowering bad people is a bad idea. What they need is accountability. And friends, the last thing Joseph knew about his brothers, they were bad men. And so even though he's got a thousand questions he wants to ask, what about Jacob? What about my little brother, Benjamin? He doesn't reveal who he is until he lets those guys go through a series of tests So he can figure out whether they have actually repented or not. Have they changed? Can I trust them or not? So how do you know if a bad person has changed? Well, one test that Joseph uses is he observes how they endure accountability. How they endure accountability. Now Joseph did this (laughs) by putting them through some of the same experiences that he had had when he came to Egypt. I know what some of y'all are going to think, Cam, that's just payback, right? Well, not necessarily. You remember Jesus does the same thing with Peter. You remember when Peter denied Jesus three times and then Jesus made him reaffirm his love for him three times so that Peter would know and Jesus would know and everybody else would know. I mean, think back about this story. You remember when Joseph, first thing we learned about him, he goes out to check up on his brothers and they said, you're a spy. You're a spy, dude. You're just out here spying on us so you can go tattle to our dad. Now look at, look at uh, chapter 42, verse eight. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And then he said to them, you're spies. You've come to see whether our country is unprotected or not. And they said, no, Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We're honest men. We're not spies. I mean, they're just begging Joseph for mercy. But you know what? He ignored them the same way they had ignored him when he was begging them to pull him out of that hole 20 something years ago. I mean, Joseph says, no way, bro. You are a spy. You're here to spy out our land. And he's watching how they respond when they're being held accountable. Look at verse 13. They just come clean, man. This this wouldn't have happened 20 years ago. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man. We live in the land of Canaan. And, And then suddenly Joseph knows, oh, that one man is still alive in the land of Canaan. My dad's still alive. The youngest of us, is with our father. And Joseph is thinking, oh man, Benjamin, my little brother is still alive. And he's with my dad and dad's smarter now. He's more careful. He didn't you know, let him take this trip. And then they say, well, one of, one of us is no more. And Joseph is thinking, okay, so that's what you told dad. You told dad that I was dead. And Joseph pretended not to believe them. And man, he put him in prison. I mean, he had him thrown in prison just like they threw him in the pit. And then he releases all but one and he's going to hold them all. And then he says, no, I'm, I'm, going to just, going to, I'm just going to hold one and I'll let 11 of you go back. And, and man, he's not going to release them until they come back from Canaan with Benjamin when they come back for more food. He's just grinding these guys. He's putting them through some of the very same things they put him through. Throw them in prison. Change your mind. Keep plan changing. I mean, it's the same thing he went through, right? And then in verse 21, Joseph finally gets a read on his brother's heart as he watches how they react to all this. Now remember, Joseph understands Hebrew. They don't know that, but he's listening to everything they say and they're not cussing him. They're not cursing their dad for sending him to Egypt for this food. They're not blaming everybody else. Look what they say. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has now come on us. And then Reuben, the oldest brother, said, didn't I tell you not to sin against a boy? But you would not listen. And now we are accountable. We must give an accounting for his blood. And they didn't realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. But you know what's kind of cool about this? These guys have changed. You know, They've repented. You know how we know that? They're not expressing anger. They feel accountable They're looking at each other going, dude, we did this. We did this. We are reaping what we have sown. 20 years later, they're still thinking, you know what? We had this coming. We are being punished by God because of the evil thing we did to our brother. And you know what? They're right. They are reaping what they have sown. That phrase right there scares me more than just about anything else in the Bible. You reap what you sow. Now, listen, look at these guys. When your heart is working right, if you are guilty, you feel guilty, right? I mean, listen, what pain is to the body, appropriate guilt is to the spirit. Listen, Joseph is seeing signs of spiritual health by how these guys are responding to accountability And friends, Joseph's heart is moved by this. He's hopeful now for his family. I mean, look at verse 24. He turned away from them and began to weep. Dude, Joseph just weeps to see the way his brother's hearts have changed. They were so hard and so evil in the past and their hearts have gotten better. And listen, when you confront somebody that you need to confront over a lie or hurt or an abuse, I mean, it could be your kid. It could be your friend. It could be an employer, an employer. And you know, when they respond with kind of a humble, contrite spirit, dude, that tells you a lot. And when you confront them and they blow up and cuss and blame and threaten everybody, that tells you a lot too. And so Joseph sends them on their way believing. I think these guys have changed, but he wants to make sure. So he launches the next test. The second test is to observe how they respond to adversity. Now, friends, this second test that Joseph puts them through is a test of adversity. I mean, they faced spiritual accountability. They owned up. You know, they did that pretty well. Humble, contrite spirit. Way to go. But you know, when the opportunity comes to throw somebody else under the bus to save your own skin, how are you going to respond when that kind of pressure is on so let's look at chapter 43. We're just going to fly through this, but you got to see this, man. This is crazy. Joseph sends them back to Canaan without Simeon. He's still in prison. He sends them with big bags of grain, but he has his guys put the money they paid for that grain back in their sack, which of course, you know, when they find that, they get back to Canaan and they find this money, they're like, oh no, they're going to think we stole this money. And so now there's some tension about, can we ever go back there and get, you know, get more grain? I mean, our brother's in prison, but, but what if they hold us accountable and, ah, so eventually they run out of food and they tell their dad, we got to go get more food. But dad, we cannot go back there without Benjamin. And Jacob was like, no, man, his brother Joseph is dead. You left my son Simeon in prison. If I lose a third son, it'll kill me. But the brother's are like, dad, if we don't go back to Egypt for more food, the famine's going to kill all of us. And so finally in verse 11, Jacob says, okay, all right, And he allows him to go and take Benjamin with him. And man, when they arrive in Egypt, Joseph throws this banquet for these guys. And then he meets his little brother, Benjamin. And then he releases Simon from prison and he loads him up with grain. But this time he has one of his agents put his favorite silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And dude, they leave and they're on their way back to to Canaan and he sends the cops after them and they pull them over and say, somebody stole the Pharaoh's cup. How dare you do, I I mean, Joseph's cup. How dare you do that? And they're like, no way in the world. We ain't stole nothing, man. And they're like, well, we're going to have to search everybody. They go from the oldest to the youngest. And this is crazy because two or three things happen from the oldest to the youngest. They can't figure out how they even know who's the oldest and the youngest, but Joseph knows, right? And so they search every bag, bam, 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 bam. They get to Benjamin's and there's that silver cup. And here is the ultimate test of adversity. The police tell him, you can all leave, but Benjamin's got to stay here. Benjamin's got to stay here. And here's the test. Will they leave Joseph's brother? Will they leave daddy's new favorite? Will they leave you know, the baby of the family in Egypt in prison to save their own lives? What will they do to Benjamin? what they did to his brother Joseph. And in chapter 44, verse 13, it says, at this they tore their clothes. Now, this was a Jewish expression of extreme grief. They tore their clothes. And then those guys reloaded their donkeys. And brother, they returned to the city. I mean, they could have all fled. They could have all gone home. But they are not the same self-centered jerks who sold Joseph into slavery 22 years ago. I mean, they said, no way, bro. We ain't going without Benjamin. And so they go back to Joseph and one of the brothers, his name was Judah. Everybody say Judah. Judah. Judah makes an impassioned plea. He says to the number two guy in Egypt, Joseph, sir, we cannot go home without our brother Benjamin. He is my father's youngest son. If I go back with him, my dad will die of grief. He says, I, I've got to tell you. there's a story here. Our father had another son who was his favorite and he is no more. And his death just crushed our dad. If we go back home without Benjamin, I just can't bear to see the anguish on his face. I'm telling you, my daddy will die. And then in verse 33, he says, Please, Judah, please let me Let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if this boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that will come upon my father. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but back in chapter 37, you remember when they went back and told their dad, Jacob, that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. Here's his coat. Look at the blood all over it. Oh, isn't this awful? And Jacob just grieved and wept and those brothers did not shed a tear. They didn't give a rip. They watched their dad's heart break and couldn't care less. But now, 22 years later, God has done a healing, transforming work in the hearts of those brothers. That heart of stone, has been restored and revived and resurrected by the love of God. And I'm telling you, man, only God can do that. And so Judah is basically saying, Sir, please let me give my life as a substitute for my brother. Release him and execute me. And that is exactly the kind of self-sacrificing love Joseph had been hoping to see. And you know what's crazy about this? Many years later, There will be a descendant of Judah and his name will be Jesus. And he would offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of his brothers and sisters as well so that they could be set free, so that we, me, you, could be set free from the slavery of sin. Now look at chapter 45, verse 1. Flip over to chapter 45, verse 1. This is cool. Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And so man, there was nobody with Joseph when when, uh, he made himself known to his brothers and he wept so loudly, the Egyptians heard him. I mean, Pharaoh's household heard about it. It was a crazy emotional answer to his prayers. You know, John Grisham is a Christ follower and a super popular writer of legal thrillers, you know, in our country. And his latest book was entitled *The Guardian*. And *The Guardians* is actually set in Savannah. It was a crazy thing to read this book, but it's about an actual ministry in Princeton, New Jersey, that exists to exonerate innocent people who have been imprisoned for crimes they did not commit. Now, does that sound like Joseph to anybody else? I mean, it does to me. And one of the main characters is a man named Quincy, and he was in prison for 22 years for a crime he did not commit, partially because his ex-wife, woman named June, lied at his trial because he had cheated on her. And so 22 years later, there's this Christian attorney who after much effort and many appeals to the best part of June's heart, convinces her to admit that she was not truthful at Quincy's trial way back in the bad old days and help them get that man that she had three kids with out of prison. And it's a really moving scene in the book. When she finishes her testimony, she admits that she was not truthful all those years ago and the judge excuses her. She walks out of the witness stand. And when she walked out, her ex-husband pushed his chair back and he stood up and he took a couple steps toward her. And man, everybody in that courtroom is holding their breath, expecting a disaster to happen. And when he took that step toward June, Quincy just opened his arms and June stepped into them and they hugged each other and they both just burst into tears. And June says in his ear, Quincy, I'm so sorry. And he's patting her on the back saying, it's all right. It's all right. And then Grisham writes at lunch, Quincy is still moved by his encounter with June. He has hated her so long and hated her so hard He is stunned by the speed with which he forgave her. I mean, sitting there listening to her confess her lies, something came over him. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit and he just couldn't hate anymore. So he closed his eyes and asked God to take away all of his hate. And in a flash, that huge burden left his shoulders and he could actually feel the release. He forgave June and he felt wonderfully And beautifully unburdened. (laughs) Now, you know, I think Grisham is trying to describe kind of what happened to Joseph in this story when he just starts weeping. And man, he releases 22 years of grief. Now, look at verse 3 in chapter 45. Joseph regained his composure enough to talk. And I'm assuming he told this to his brothers in Hebrew. He said, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? (laughs) Look at the next line. His brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. I mean, can you imagine that? This is the guy we sold into slavery and he's now like number two in Egypt. What? Friends, can you imagine how it's going to be for some people when they stand before the Lord Jesus that they have mocked and ignored and marginalized and ridiculed, and I mean, ignored all the evidence for his resurrection. And then one second after they die or one day in the future, they're going to be standing before the judge of the living and the dead. And he is going to say, I am Jesus, the master of all creation. And I'm telling you, it's no wonder Paul wrote in Philippians chapter two, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But look at verse four in chapter 45. Joseph says, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now look what God has done in his heart. Now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was to save your life. Now, again, I do not believe that God predestined those brothers to treat Joseph with such cruelty. I mean, James, the brother of Jesus, says, you know, when you're tempted, you should not say, God is tempting me because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. I mean, people are not puppets that God uses, to, you know, forces to do evil. But as we said before, God absolutely can and does work together in all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And look at verse 14. Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And then he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards his brothers talked with him. Dude, what a reconciliation that must have been. I mean, Joseph forgave them. And now he's got a family again after 22 years. He said, man, I want you to go back to Canaan. I want you to bring my daddy here. I want you to bring the whole family here. Man, God has told me there's going to be five more years of this horrible famine. You're never going to survive in Canaan. And so they went back and they brought their dad and they told him Joseph is alive. And man, Jacob is just overwhelmed with joy. And so the whole family comes to Egypt and all the brothers are reunited and they live together as a family. And they couldn't believe how gracious Joseph was to them. They punishment. But because of God's grace, Joseph gave them forgiveness and favor. You know what favor? Unmerited favor is the actual definition of grace. Now, friends, the most expensive thing you will ever do is to forgive somebody. Forgiveness is so expensive that the only reason you would even do it is because Jesus did it for you. Now, let's look at this graph of Joseph's life one more time. All right, take a look at this. Take a look at this trend line. Trend line. Okay, imagine there is a trend line that goes from right here, kind of the trend all the way through all those ups and downs like this. But if you can imagine that, Joseph's life is just getting better and better and better. Now, his up, down, up, down, up, hard down, hard down, hard down. And yet back up again because of the grace and the blessing and the favor of God. And so literally over his lifetime, his, listen, through all the ups and downs, the level of blessing in Joseph's life just keeps going up, up, up because his faith is so resilient. And because he just keeps on doing the next hard, right thing. And man, he is blessed, blessed, blessed by God because he did. Now, let me leave you with two lessons that I think we need to take from Joseph's life. Here's number one. We need to give the same gift to the one who has offended us that we received from Jesus. We need to forgive. Dude, for the sake of your own heart, forgive. Before they repent, before they ask, forgive. Listen, you don't have to trust them. And just understand, you cannot be reconciled unless they are willing to repent and unless they are willing to humble themselves. But you can have a heart of forgiveness. You don't have to live with hate. It will kill you. Dude, give the gift to others that Jesus gave to you. Joseph did that. He did that over and over and over, I mean, over and over and over again. And his level of blessing just keeps going up, 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 up. Here's the second thing I hope you learned from Joseph. Almost everything you want in your life, but you don't have right now is on the other side of your comfort zone. Almost everything you want in life, but you don't have is on the other side of your comfort zone. Want to have a better marriage? Let me tell you where that is. It's on the other side of your comfort zone. You want want to have more sound finances? Other side of your comfort zone. You want to be a better parent, better friend? You want to go further in your career? You want to achieve some specific goal? Do you want to grow spiritually so you look more and more like Jesus? Do you want to be rid of the bitterness and hate that has followed your refusal to forgive? That life is on the other side of your comfort zone. So do saddle up, summon that resilient faith that we see in Joseph. Wade out of your comfort zone toward the blessing that God wants to give you, just like he gave it to Joseph. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the life of this amazing man. Thank you for his resilient faith. Thank you for, Lord, the way he could not, he could not be put down by circumstances. And I pray, God, that that same resilient faith, that same just overcoming joy and a sense of purpose, Lord, will permeate every compassionate Christian, everybody who's listening today because of our confidence that you are with us and that you love us and treasure us. I pray, God, that there will be people who will get on the chat in just a few minutes and say, man, I got to have that kind of relationship. I don't have that kind of relationship with God and I want it. And I pray, God, there will be people asking, how can I get to know Jesus in a way that would transform my life the way God transformed the lives of Joseph's family all those years ago. I pray, God, that some of us will hit that personal prayer button just say, somebody talk to me about my next step. And Lord, that we'll be baptizing people in a few weeks who made a decision today because of the example we see in Joseph's life. Lord, bless us to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen, 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 amen. Okay, listen, <clears throat> we don't want this to stop right now. So I've got a couple discussion questions I want to give you. And let me just warn you, this is going to be hard. Okay, these are going to be tough, uh, but I want to encourage you to turn to somebody right now, somebody who's worshiping with you in your group, your watch party, somebody, family member, whatever. Here are the two questions I hope you will discuss. Number one, what is the hardest thing you've ever had to forgive? What is the hardest thing you've ever had to forgive? I know what you're thinking right now, Kim, that's pretty personal. I know. And when it's personal, it's powerful. Listen, you might share the thing that you've had to forgive in somebody in your room go, man, I, Maybe I need to forgive that. And, and life changes in the future, right? So what is the hardest thing you've ever had to forgive? And here's question number two. Has there ever been a time when you have forgiven someone and you have felt an immediate sense of relief? You know, like Quincy in that story. You know, I just felt a million pounds come off my heart. Tell us that story. That's a life change story, man. Share that with us. So somebody will be blessed because of it. Now, again, that's very personal, but hey, when it's personal, it's powerful. And so share that. Okay, y'all, thanks for worshiping with us today. Man, we love you. We're so glad you're part of our online service. Let me remind you of two things. You can start Digital Growth Track next week. And if you do, you'll be team ready by the time we go public on September 23 and 27. So grab that opportunity with Growth Track. And here's number two, fast and pray with me. Pray for me, pray for our church as we reopen our services uh, publicly September 23 and 27. I'll tell you all about it at our family meeting on Monday night at seven o'clock, August 31. Don't miss it. Love you, God bless you. Thanks for being a part of our service today.